A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hot Happy Mess. Celebrate your magic in the middle of life's messes. Hot, happy, mess. I'm Zuri Hall, and this is Hot, Hot happy, happy Mess. Oh, shoot. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. How you doing? You good? I'm Zuri. This is Hot, Happy, Mess. And today's episode is all things entrepreneurship, how to scale your business and grow your team and activate that millionaire mindset, baby. Let's go. Let me just say that my journey in entrepreneurship has been bumpy, rocky, rocky roads. Oh my gosh. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. I'm tired actually just thinking about it. But I will also say that with all of the ups and the downs, There is something so rewarding about building something that is truly yours, that you have ownership in, equity in, a stake in. You know, growing up in my household, you know, my parents always encouraged us to dream big and believe that we could have anything we wanted. And, you know, with hard work and, you know, humility and 
maybe a little bit of luck, but certainly ambition and drive, um, we can make things happen for ourselves. My father, especially, always instilled in me the spirit of entrepreneurship. He was and is an entrepreneur. Um, he's got such a business mind and he likes to think big and, and he's a visionary. He has such beautiful, grand ideas. And he is certainly where I get that bug from, that entrepreneurship bug, the, the creative bug, um, the bug to build. And he always instilled in me and my brothers from an early age that, we want to be our own bosses. You know, it's one thing to be a part of an incredible team and incredible organization. And Lord knows I have been and am currently a part of some really awesome teams and organizations and networks and shows. And it's so much fun. And it's a really awesome way to, you know, build your community, make lifelong friends, learn lessons, um, kind of have a safe space to, to learn, to fall and get back up again. Um, but I also really respect and admire people who have taken the, the risk and had the courage to build something of their own. And that's something that I've always wanted to do from a very young age, even from childhood. And I'm really proud to be able to say that through, you know, the blood, sweat and tears, we're getting it done and it feels good. And at this point in my life, I'm really focused on automation, working smarter, not harder, outsourcing. What can someone else be doing so that this is one less thing on my plate so that I can focus on doing really, really well the things that only I can do in my organization, on my team, in my business, and then finding the right people to put in place to execute the rest. Um, yeah, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here, y'all. <laughs> um, so anyways, really excited. I've got a lot in store and like in a less is more, but doing more with less kind of way for next year. So it's not a thousand different things. It is being super strategic, super intentional, but fully in on the things that we are in on here at Zuri Hall Incorporated. That's not the name of my business, but um, I'm really excited. And I'm hesitantly relieved, you know, prematurely relieved uh, because we'll see how it all gets executed. But uh, I'm high. I'm ready for what 2023 looks like from an entrepreneurial standpoint for myself. I'm excited to have this conversation today to help empower and encourage and motivate you who may be listening and deciding that it's time to get your millionaire mindset on. Maybe you're already in the middle of a millionaire mindset or building a business wherever you are. Oh my gosh, Lola, she just burped. I can't even deal with, <laughs> she's so cute. Lola, say excuse me. Okay, my puppy's on one and she's chewing a bone that she should probably put down. Anyways, um, let's get to my guest. Um, she's awesome. Brittany Martin. She is so smart and just so real. She's sharing how to stop making broke ass decisions, how she's helping women scale their businesses and their lives to seven figures without sacrificing their families or their sanity, because we all deserve to be millionaires. Um, she's one of my favorite guests I've had on the podcast so far, uh, because she is just so so fun and vulnerable and transparent and the conversation is mind-blowing so many tips let's get into it here's Brittany 
She is here, Brittany Martin. She's a founding leader of Hello7, and she's spent her time with the company bringing the dream of the visionary leader from idea to execution. Brittany has held multiple roles in her tenure with Hello7, from business coach to creative director to director of operations, now chief operating officer. We love a C-suite moment. In each role, she's brought a high level of empathy, structure, drive, and a creative approach to problem solving. And her key tenet for success is developing top quality talent with a focus on curiosity, transparency, and candor while building a culture that nurtures the individual contributions of each team member. Welcome, Brittany. Whoa, that's a bio. Ooh, you have done a I, lot of things. <laughs> Listen, to hear your own bio yeah. spoken aloud is a moment. I'm like, oh, yeah. yes, I have done those things things. What a moment right? of confirmation. <laughs> right. Now that now that you mentioned that, I'm like, maybe that's something that we should be doing. Uh, have someone voice record our bios. And then every day when we wake up in the morning, someone's like, let me just remind you who the heck you are really quickly. It's like, yep. all right, let's yep. go. Because the, the tape in my head is all the mistakes that I made mm. in those in that time. Right. Mm. That's, that's what I hear. Wow. And, you know, the mistakes, unfortunately, that what that's what makes growth. If you don't make right. mistakes, you're probably going to stay exactly where you are. And so since yeah, you just yeah. read that bio that makes me sound like I've done the most, let me also just say I have made tons, tons <laughs> of mistakes along the way, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that transparency, which in regards to your bio or as your bio acknowledges, rather, um, you appreciate and prioritize this transparency. And that's what we're all about here on the podcast, too. You know, hot, happy mess. My life, I always felt like looked one way from the outside looking in. And I just thought it was really time to get transparent about the fact that that is not what it actually is underneath the surface. And while I love all of it, um, I just feel like we should be embracing the hot, the happy and the mess of our lives of our careers. Um, so I appreciate that. It sounds like you're doing that very thing in your own life and career. Yes, I have to. I, ha I used to say I have no filter, mm -hmm. uh, which I used to work in banking. And so you have to have a filter in banking. They, they, they don't appreciate the truth all the time. Right. And yeah. so <laughs> probably that's why I didn't last there, but, but I yeah. have learned to have a filter in a professional way, but also professional is such a, bogus term. I remember when I cut bangs and my father told me that is not professional. Really? Bangs. bangs. Oh, bangs. your father would have freaked out if he saw the, the, the hairstyles and haircuts I would walk, roll in with on any given day. Wait, so you, did you cut them and then he told you that? Or you were thinking oh, yeah. about it and he tried to talk you down? Ooh, good question. I'm pretty sure I cut the bangs first and then he Ooh. told me it was unprofessional because it was Incredible. at the same time I had the bank job and he was born in 1946. Yeah. And so yeah. all respect <laughs> to him and the timeline that right. he grew up in. But, you know, the bank also said I couldn't wear pants. Oh you have to wear wait. a skirt. So that is yeah. wild to me. Wait, what? What? I want to say decade, like it's like 1930s. What year? We can't be talking about that long ago. I mean, you're 36, no. right? Oh, how old am I? I'm 37. Oh, you so okay. Close. You're at the point. I just stopped counting, or I have to take a beat. Okay, so 37. So this couldn't have been that long ago. And you're no. saying the bank was requiring skirts and dresses? 
Well, yeah. So it recently had changed and okay. I, but I couldn't wear, I had to wear um, sleeves. Like you couldn't wear a sleeveless shirt. Wow. You had, I got in trouble. My boss had to call me. She was very embarrassed because it was, she was in Texas. I was in Louisiana and she called mm-hmm. me and she was mortified that she had to even give me a talking to, but she said, right. you know, I got a report that you are wearing oh. a sleeveless shirt and oh, uh, we just God. can't have that because Anarchy. arms have no place in banking. <laughs> just, I mean, what do you do with them? What is the point of an arm in a bank? I just, I don't know. I don't understand. I have, I have no <laughs> idea what one might do with an arm or two. Um, well, that is fascinating. I'm glad that you survived the, the bang phase. I, I assume your father was, he was still, you know, supporting his daughter post bang life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Okay. He has been a, a constant career yeah. coach through my oh, years. And some that. of his advice has been wonderful. And some yeah. I have decided to ignore mm-hmm. and say, you know, thank you. I so receive that. And I've, I've always lived my life that way too, but I think we can all stand to have that reminder. We don't have to take all of the advice from the people we love and even respect or whose opinions we value. It's the thank you for sharing. And now I will do with it what I will or I won't. And that's that. Oh, Mm. yes. Sorry. So that has been, I would say in the past two months, one of my probably biggest learning curves has been to simply say, thank you for that feedback and end it there. Mm. And not worry so much about what other opinion, what other people's opinions or what people are thinking of decisions I am making, things I am doing, because people don't, you you said that what's on the inside doesn't necessarily match what's on the outside. People are going to have opinions of you. People are going to, in some people's story, you're going to be the villain. In some people's story, you're going to be the hero. Mm -hmm. And as long as, as long as I know I'm making my decisions from a place of integrity and honesty and I've thought them through, of course I make decisions where I regret right at the end, but reflecting back and learning from that, that has been huge in just probably the past few months of, Mm -hmm. oh, I have to release that. I have to release what that person is thinking about me or saying about me. And as you know, the internet is full of people who are going to have opinions Mm -hmm. about you. So in, in, like you said, it might even be the people who are closest to you and you just yeah. thank you. Thank you for that yeah. feedback. Thank you. Thank you. And moving on. Well, look, I mean, this conversation is off to a great start. I feel like we're already in it. I love that. Um, this episode, we're talking about how to make million dollar decisions for your business, for yourself, creating long-term visions, building wealth, advice on, you know, what scaling your business actually looks like and how to grow your team. So I can't think of a better person to be talking to than you. We're all about career and finances and how to happy mess. Uh, we've talked crypto, building your credit, networking, entrepreneurship, all of the things. Um, so before we dive into the thick of it, just tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and talk to us a little bit about Hello7. Gosh. Okay. So Hello7 is a company that I did not found, but I feel like I founded it. Mm-hmm. I've been with the company about four and a half years now. And when I joined the team, we were just freshly a seven-figure business. And in that time, we have grown to an eight-figure business. And there Mm. has just been a hockey puck trajectory in that growth. Uh, Our CEO, Rachel Rogers, last year put out a book called We Should All Be Millionaires. And that called in so many people because so much of personal finance that is written and shared is for people who 
maybe have access to different resources or were raised and socialized in different ways, or even it's a very, um, the fire method or, uh, gosh, break down fire for those who don't know. What's that? The fire. Can you break down really quickly fire for those who don't know? I know what you're talking about, but do you remember? I always forget. You're, you're, it's, it's basic. I can't remember what Retire early is how it is. Yes. I know that. Financial. Independence, retire early. Boom. There we go. Two yes. words. I'm like, oh, I think I've got like two out of four words. I can't remember the rest. Yes. Okay. Yes. Continue. I'm sorry. Yes. No. So, no, thank you. And that's so funny because I, I couldn't even remember it. And people will confuse what we do with the FIRE method because Rachel's whole message is we should all be millionaires. We should all have access to capital. We should all be able to build wealth, generate money on demand, have that skill, have that resource. Whereas what's the, now I'm going to ask you the question, the envelope method. What's that one? Ooh, I don't know if I've ever even heard of the envelope method. Oh gosh, it's um, it's such a popular personal really? finance. Wait, and I'm going to kick I'm myself. Hand- I am handy dandy googling right now because now I need to know. Envelope the internet method. is there for us always. So is it a budgeting app? Yes. Okay. It's so a, it's, the envelope method. The concept is simple. According to Nerd Wallet, take a few envelopes, write a specific expense category on each one, like groceries, rent, or student loans, and then put the money you plan to spend on those things into oops, got a text <laughs> into the envelopes. Traditionally, people have used the envelope system on a monthly basis using actual cash and envelopes. Interesting. There you go. Yes. Okay. So that those are both based more in, and I'm going to use the word scarcity, but it's 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 basically saying I have this much money to spend, fixed budgets. This is this is what I have. Whereas we operate from more of a abundance place of I can generate money on demand and teaching that skill. And that's I mean, there's so much more to the book and what we do, but that's if I were to boil it down, that would be Rachel's genius is mm. helping people make money, and so. We have now a membership program that has over 2,000 members, and and those members are all there to build wealth through entrepreneurship. So that's that's what we do. And as you said, as I've been with the company, I have moved from it was very small, you know, three people mm-hmm. on the team. Uh, I started out as a contractor, not even mm-hmm. a full time employee. I was running my own business that I was doing. Also, I was writing my own book. I, I was doing a lot yeah. and hello seven was one of my clients. And then one day Rachel just said, you know, what would you think about coming on as a, as a part-time, but employee. So you'd be an employee. And I said, well, I'll negotiate with you. What would it be like if I came on full-time and just, I think what we're doing in my business and your business, they're aligned. I think I can be a lot more effective working with you. What I loved doing in my business was what I could do for Hello7 and then shed the rest that I didn't love so much. And so at that point, that's when I joined and have been with the company ever since. And it has been a roller coaster. We now have close to 30 employees. So we've 10X'd our team from when I first joined. Um, And we're not slowing down. We're not planning to stop anytime soon. So yeah. Good for you. That is awesome. It's tough to sum it up. Yeah. Yeah. You're the chief operating officer at this point um, and your trajectory mm-hmm. at the company. What exactly does that mean? What does a typical day look like for you? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, so weirdly enough, because I'm a, a reader and a learner, and when we started talking about this role for me, I was actually about to go out on maternity leave. And 
So I spent my entire maternity leave reading, what's a COO? What does a COO do? Because it's a really, it's similar to a CEO. There is Mm -hmm. no one job description. What does that business need? And often in our space, the CEO might be the founder, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just the person who started the company and maybe they stay in that seat and they enjoy it, or maybe they step out early or at some point. Um, And so the COO is, there are several different ways a COO could show up for a business. So let's say you have a CEO who's a strong marketer and salesperson. Maybe you need a COO who's going to balance that and be strong in operations and finance and systems. Um, I would say that the way Rachel and I function is I'm almost her, I'm going to say foil, but it's this synergy Two, mm-hmm. two people creating one. So we're leading the company together. She has the vision. And then I work with the team to ensure it actually happens. Okay. And so my day-to-day right now, as we're growing and expanding our team, is honestly, I am doing a time study right now where I am writing down every single thing I'm doing in 15-minute increments. And then I'm saying, what, what department does this fit in? And how can I offload that? to that Mm. department. So as we're growing the company, we are continually delegating tasks, delegating responsibilities so that we can grow and shift in our roles. I can better support Rachel so she can be more free from the day-to-day to to do the things that she is actually a genius at, which is being the brand face of this business, being uh, uh, someone who shows up for our clients and has the space to go in for calls, writing books. She has multiple book deals right now, working on press and PR, visioning, even thinking about what's the next phase of the business? What are our offers going to be? And then of course, I'm there to bounce ideas off of, and then we have a whole leadership team. So I'm working with them. So every single day is different, Mm -hmm. which is great because I get very bored in stagnation, which is why you can see that growth. Um, I, are you familiar with strengths like the, the Gallup strengths finder? Oh, why? Yes. Vaguely, because I'm obsessed with like anything psychology based. I love the personality test. I love all that stuff. So the strength finder, break it down. Is this the one that based on sort of who you are, what your strengths might be via test or or something like that? Yep. Yep. You take an assessment. So it's one of those behavioral assessments and it helps you determine out of 34 possible strengths, what your top five are. And Mm. so everyone has a different mix up of these strengths. And just because you have one at the very bottom doesn't mean you're necessarily bad at that thing. It's just not what you're going to lead with. And so knowing about yourself, like what are mine? So mine are connectedness, empathy, achiever, um, Mm -hmm. learner, and intellection. And Mm. I find this to be fascinating. I would love Mm -hmm. to know what yours are because I I, think- I vaguely recall empathy. I know for sure is one and achievement. Mm -hmm. Those two ring very true, but I should probably do an assessment again. It's been a long while since I did it, but I vaguely recall seeing empathy and that since then being sort of a public facing thread in my, you know, career ambitions, making sure that I can infuse the work I do with that. That makes sense because with what you do and talking to people, you have to be a listener. You have to be empathetic and able to connect with them on some actual human level, right? And I felt that the second we hopped on that, oh, this is someone I can talk to. Walls can come down easily. Almost like we have shared strengths, top five strengths. (laughs) 
Yes. I yes. love it. I love it. So point being, whoever is your right hand right now, whoever is helping you to make your vision come into fruition, more than likely is going to offset those strengths because we tend to find people, this is that opposites attract mentality right, as right. well. Uh, so Rachel and I, our strengths, you could say easily, oh, we are opposites, but also our strengths marry really right. well because right. she's a maximizer. She's got high command. So someone with high command paired with someone with high empathy. Well, thank goodness, because empathy can also be toxic. It can be terrible. You can really use it in a way that is um Shadow, the shadow side of that, right? Yeah. And so the command can balance that. And then the same thing, command with the shadow side, having more empathy. So I would say to go back to the original question of what is my day-to-day, mm-hmm. I'm focused on alignment for the company mm. and making sure that we stay agile. And and I don't mean there's this whole, there's a project management term called agile. So I don't necessarily mean the agile philosophy, okay. but a, agility and um, staying Nimble. There we go. Nimble. Right, right. So with a plan, with a purpose, we're going towards a vision, but being able to flex and shift as needed. Right. Because agility is, I mean, the world is. Oh, this adaptability is so necessary. So necessary in this day and age. I mean, the rules um, change every day, it seems like. I always say, even in my industry, it feels like just in the worlds that we're in right now, everything is moving at hyperspeed. It's like quicksand or sand beneath your feet. Just as you feel you're getting traction in one space, it's like, oh, time to pivot. The world is moving in a different direction and it's happening faster than it's ever happened before because of how much access we have to information to each other. Um, It's really great to hear you explain the dynamic between yourself and Rachel, uh, because what it reminds me of is not just sort of opposites attracting, but sort of like yin and yang, right? Like two yes. equal parts of one whole um, with a little bit of the other in in the middle. I, I God, I'm trying to like visualize with my hands. This is a podcast, Zuri. They can't see you. Um, audio. <laughs> right. Audio. It's audio. Uh, that's cool. Uh, so I, I totally hear what you mean. And I love that. I also really appreciate you talking about um, an abundance mindset versus scarcity, because I talk about that a lot. I talk about the fact that, you know, growing up, the sort of age old wisdom we always heard was keep your cash under the mattress, keep your cash where you can see it. And now I'm like, ooh, ooh, not, not good idea. That it was kind of maybe the worst thing, particularly in an economy uh, with ridiculously high inflation, like historic levels at this point. Uh, but you don't know what you don't know. And so I really love that your company is also prioritizing a mindset shift because if you've got limiting beliefs holding you back from the idea that you can actually be a millionaire, it doesn't matter how many times you say it, how many times you shout it from the rooftop. If you don't believe that deep down, um, I don't believe it's something that you can manifest for yourself, but I very much believe it is absolutely something anyone can manifest for themselves. It's just a matter of, do you believe it? And are you willing to take, you know, the actionable steps to make it happen? Uh, Rachel actually said, it's not just about being wealthy. It's about having a mindset of wealth, um, which I would imagine plays, uh, uh, very, very specifically into her book. No, we should all be millionaires. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a call to action. It's it's really part one of, you know, probably more to come mm-hmm. of just proclaiming we are all worthy of mm-hmm. seven figures and beyond. 
seven figures Mm -hmm. is the new six figures. You think about growing a business and growing. I remember when I was starting my business and six figures was the gold standard. I was like, if I can just get to my first 100K (laughs) year. And then you do that and you realize, oh, I have to take a salary out of this. I need to invest in my business. And if if six figures can be harder in some Mm -hmm. ways than seven because you don't have enough money to hire a team, you don't have enough money to delegate. We started this conversation talking about my day-to-day, right? Where yeah. I'm figuring out what can I offload. You don't have that luxury when you're at six figures because mm-hmm. you're trying to take a salary for yourself and then take the rest and section it off. Now, of course, there is a way to do it. There are tons of people who stay within six figures. Maybe they hit 500K and you can stay there. People are happy there. Um, a lot of service providers, if you think like lawyers, a lot of those are within the six the six figure range as business owners. Uh, but if you want to go to seven figures, mm-hmm. if you want to become a millionaire, why not? Like right. what's standing in your way? And I think right. for me, Zuri, before I met Rachel, I never even considered becoming a millionaire. Wow. I never even thought that would be possible for me. We're, we don't have that. We don't have the generational wealth that we would. And also I grew up in Louisiana. I was mm-hmm. socialized to be a nice mm-hmm. wife, basically mm-hmm. not saying mm-hmm. that my parents raised me that way, but just so just culturally speaking, totally get it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that even for myself, I had to, I am still constantly breaking down barriers in my own mind. Um, it, it, we come up against it every day, uh, even asking for help. I, I saw something, you know, you see all the things on Instagram where you're scrolling and I saw a career account that I follow saying it was a screenshot of a tweet, of course. And it said, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. your boss emails you something that they could do themselves mm-hmm. and it takes them the same amount of time to ask you to do it. And then I saw a lot of people commenting like, oh, I hate when my boss does that. And I said, no, that's been the biggest learning curve for me Uh to grow and help my team to grow is to stop doing everything. Even if I can do it, I need other people on this team who can also do it. Because when I went out for maternity leave, Mm -hmm. I had to make sure every single thing that I did in my day to day, someone else could do. Right. Because if I wasn't there and and that was great, right? I was able to plan for that. But there are things that happen that you can't plan for. And so there's this it's again abundance versus scarcity. There's this scarcity yeah. mindset we all have in our careers that if we transfer information to other people, we're no longer valuable. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Like the whole goal of Hello 7 is to transfer information to other people, to transfer skill to other people. And so we keep that with our team as well. We want our team to have the same mindset as our clients. I feel like I just went on a little bit of a spaghetti track. I love that. I love spaghetti. I had spaghetti for dinner two (laughs) nights ago. I love a spaghetti tangent. (laughs) Like we are one in the same with that. So this is always going to be a safe space for going off the beaten path. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. 
Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents she's got all of these maseratis and bentleys all in the driveway is it like a mansion yes it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I love what you said about breaking your own personal barriers um, and sort of shifting your own mindset into buying into the idea that you could, in fact, be a millionaire, that that was something that was very much attainable for you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some numbers around really breaking barriers that we uh, still need in in everyday life when it comes to women in business. Some of these statistics are staggering. They're horrifying. They can be a little bit depressing. Uh, women own 51% of all businesses in the United States, but only bring in 4.2% of the revenue. 13% of men earn $100,000 per year and above. Only 6% of women earn that much. Men are three and a half times more likely to reach the million dollar mark than women. 90% of the world's millionaires are men. Only 10% are women. And the wealth gap, of course, only widens for black women, women of color, LGBTQIA plus women, disabled women, women who are not thin, women who grew up long, low income. There's a theme here and it's women mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not mm-hmm. getting our, our due. Um, I'm curious to know when you think about these statistics, how hopeful, encouraged, discouraged, like safe space, whatever you truly feel about yeah. this uh, where we are, uh, how do you feel when you hear those numbers and how does Hello 7 hope to or currently help uh, bridge that divide? Those numbers, the first time I heard them, it was staggering mm-hmm. because as you said, women are starting businesses specifically to get out of the corporate space that's not made for us. Um, and, and not just women, but also, as you mentioned, LGBTQIA, which there is not a ton of data around that, that space or disabled folks. So, um, even my husband suffers from chronic illness and he had to leave his job over a year ago because he was not able to thrive in a corporate space with Mm -hmm. his, with his illness. And so, I hear those numbers and for me personally, it sets me on fire Mm. because we we have to change that. We have to each individually do our part to change that. And then we at Hello7, that is our mission. Our mission is to help those who have historically been excluded from wealth building to build wealth 
through entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship can be a ticket to freedom, to wealth. There's a lot of uh, naysayers out there who say that entrepreneurship is not a stable career choice, but neither is corporate America. You could be laid off at any time. COVID could happen and your entire company could lose their revenue and they have to downsize. And so there is no stability. Stability is, uh, as you said, a state of mind. It's something that you have within you. It's resilience and grit and a knowing and then a support system, right? Because you can't do any of it alone. Right. Even just this conversation I'm having with you is a support system for me today, right? And so I think for me personally, it sets me on fire for a company. It gives us our mission. And then for our community, those numbers create a benchmark. Mm. Okay, great. We have these numbers. So how can we improve these? How can we take these KPIs of the entire country, let's say it's just focused on the United States, how can we actually shift these? And then something we're doing within Hello7 is we also want to build our own data sets around what we have done, how we have affected change in those areas, impacting all of those different intersections of women, LGBTQIA, disabled, any, you know, Black women, Indigenous women. It's the... The, the numbers are, again, I'm going to say it again because I feel like there's no other word. They are staggering. staggering. How is yeah. this still the case? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, someone, Rachel references a lot and she references her in her book, We Should All Be Millionaires, is, are you familiar with Madam C.J. Walker? Oh my God, absolutely. Octavia yes. Spencer, I think, played her in a recent Netflix series too, just Yeah. Note to people who want to go check that out. Um, But she was a legend. Wasn't she the first black millionaire or was it black woman millionaire? Yes. So black woman. And she in that Netflix special also or Netflix series. Also, there's like it's like kind of adjacent to musical theater. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. There's like breaking out into singing and dancing. Mm -hmm. It's such a good show. But yes. So this was in the early 1900s. And so it has been done before. And you know that uh, the first person to break the four-minute mile, no one thought it was possible to break the four-minute mile. And then it was done. And after that, it's been done and done and done again, right? So we have evidence that it can be done. And that's something Rachel says is, I am evidence that it can be done. I can become an eight-figure business owner. So can you. How can we increase this for our community? Because we're not told, we're not given a narrative that this is something that our people can do. Mm-hmm. We're told that this is for an exclusive group and it's gate-kept and you are not invited in. You might get a special invitation if you follow all the right rules and say all the right things and look right. a certain way. You don't have bangs, right? Because bangs are unprofessional. No sleeveless shirts <laughs> no allowed. <bangs>. So, <laughs> No arms, no bangs. No arms, no bangs. And so we're focused on creating a different network, a different community where everyone's welcome. And I would say even cisgender white men are welcome in our community uh, if they are aligned with our values and support what we're doing and support Mm -hmm. those who are trying to change this narrative that's been established by those stats you shared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, only so much obviously as you're willing to share, 
one, what does wealth personally mean to you? And where are you on your journey when it comes to the saving, investing, the the making your first million, quote unquote, but I use that more as sort of a, a mindset than, you know, the, the specific numbers. Um, what has that journey been like for you? Oh, such a great question. So I definitely come from the more envelope style mm-hmm. of wealthing. I don't even think I thought about wealth until, yeah, wealthing is a verb. <laughs> until Hello7, I kind of just was, I cashed out my 401k when I was like 30 to invest in business training. You know, like I, right. I, I just was very present and not future focused. And so I had to start over. Whereas when I was um, in my early 20s, I was a save every penny, save half of your paycheck, put it in savings, don't touch it. And then to be very honest with you, my mother got very sick when I was about 21 and we thought she was going to not make it. And that triggered something in me that shifted me from a five-year plan person who had this perfect plan, perfect path, had been valedictorian with a five-year plan with my career, very aligned to someone who I blew everything up and I decided I'm going to go to school for musical theater and I'm going to take my savings and do with it what I want. And I'm going to move to New York city and I'm going to do all of these things. And that set me on a course to where I started over with wealth building in the past few years. And so my husband and I bought, it's my first house that I bought when I was 35. Thank you. Thank you. And that's, I mean, hello, hello, education. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's what a mortgage is. Here's what a, you know, a HELOC, a home warranty, you know, maintaining a home. And so that has been a lesson. And then my husband actually is a trader. And so he got really into, you were talking about cryptocurrency. You've, you've done episodes about cryptocurrency. So that I invested in my first uh, Bitcoin. Nice. And then NFTs. I love the hesitancy I mean, with which you said Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I was like, did I do Ethereum? Right. No. You're like, what am and, I and I'm gonna, in my wallet? Yeah. I, I enjoy, as you know, honesty. We've established yeah. that. Yeah. And so I took this $4,000 that I had and I was like, I'm investing this in cryptocurrency. And you know what it is now? Like a dollar. Oh. So I learned that lesson the hard way. Oh. And so, so I think... If I could sum up what I'm saying, I have learned that wealth building is not a straight line. It requires a lot of education that, honestly, why are we not teaching kids this in school? My Mm -hmm. son is 13 months and I plan to teach him about wealth building. We talked to, I have bonus kids that are older and my my stepson is about to be 15 and my husband shows him the charts and talks Mm -hmm. to him about investing because- Wealth is something that can be built in a multitude of ways, right? Real estate, you can invest in the stock market, cryptocurrency, your own business. Those are avenues for wealth building. And let's be clear, I'm not an entrepreneur. I am an employee of Hello7, which can also be an opportunity for wealth building. We have a a profit sharing uh, system set up. So we are sharing profit with our employees. And so that's one way we support wealth building for our team because Entrepreneurship is great, but if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you need to build a team. So we need to also have folks who want to support that growth. And, you know, I think we have some, we call them Shmillies, the folks who are in our club. The what? And we have Shmillies. Shmillies? Shmillies? What's a Shmillie? Yeah, like Shmillies. 
Schmillionaires. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> Schmillies, schmillionaires. Schmillies. Yes. Yes. And so some of them are employed, right? And they have a side yeah. hustle and they're building wealth through their side hustle, but they have no interest in leaving their career. Or maybe they do. Like there's just so many paths and it's like a choose your own adventure. Which way do you want to go? So I have chosen very intentionally at this phase in my life, I'm on the employment track. Who knows? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the future holds. As I told you, I've had many lives up until this point and I don't know what's next. I know 40 is a huge turning point. We'll see what happens. That's just a hop, skip and a jump on away. And And yeah, I just recently became a mother. I've got a 13-month-old. So that's been, I mean, your brain changes. Yeah, that's what they're telling me. I got a puppy and I'm just like, who am I even? Like, I don't even know how. I would have a human life that is like solely, you know, my responsibility. Uh, So kudos to you. Oh, Oh, thank you. Yes, he, he is, my husband says I can't tell people that he's perfect. So I say that he's prefect. Uh, He is, you just learn how they run the roost and you learn to work around your life into it. (laughs) it. You squeeze life in around, um, around them. I I can, I can certainly imagine that. And, and prioritize yourself. That is something else. Hello Mm. seven has given me is as a working mother or a working parent, how do you continue to center yourself for that child, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's it's for their benefit as well to see parents succeeding and parents yeah. building wealth. And, and Rachel shared recently that sometimes, and especially I think for those who have been historically excluded from wealth building for generations, mm-hmm. it can be like building generational wealth for three different generations. Yeah. Uh, and- so if you're building it for your parents, for yourself and for your children, or even for generations beyond your own kids, it's, it adds a whole nother level of pressure and complexity. If you have not been part of the white middle-class or upper, yeah. upper middle-class in the United States. Yeah, no, absolutely. So well said. Um, I, I really appreciate you also bringing up, you know, when we were talking about wealth building and what it looks like to become quote unquote a millionaire. Um, and that was also something I never really thought about, like, what are the paths to my first million? I've certainly been thinking about that more in the last few years, similar to you, like my early, like turning 30. That's when I was like, I want, not only do I need to, I really want to get serious about all of this stuff. My twenties, I was spending, I was thinking, I was sort of living for today in the present moment. And I also really believe in investing in yourself. So it was like any money I was making, I was just putting right back into my sort of ultimate vision. But around 30, I was like, okay, I need to like lock in and figure out how to make my money work for me, um, different streams of, of income. And also like, what does wealth look like? Real estate has newly become a part of that portfolio and, you know, saving towards my first million and making the proper investments to hit that. It was a bumpy road, but to get there, it is, it's such a rewarding thing and it feels so unattainable until it happens. And I know so many listeners either have, maybe they're hitting that goal. They're close to hitting that goal. They want to hit that goal. And I'm curious to know 
for you and your personal and really professional opinion, right? The steps to becoming a millionaire, the steps to live like a millionaire. What does that look like in action? Um, how can we implement mm-hmm. into our lives a millionaire mindset, even if we're not there yet? Because the first thing, as you said earlier, is mindset. What should we be doing while potentially working our nine to fives? Or maybe we're working from home or maybe we've got a startup. How can we live like a millionaire um, until we mm-hmm. become one because of those actions? Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. So first and foremost, it's decision-making and looking at the decisions that you are making and are they coming from a place of, we could say abundance or scarcity. We could say uh, something Rachel talks about and we should all be millionaires. Number one, read that book. If you haven't mm-hmm. read it yet, that's a great first step. Yeah. And then in it, she she references the... Um, Million dollar decisions versus broke ass decisions. decisions, which I love. Yes, love that. Label. Yes, and so yeah, you were just talking about. You know, it sounds like almost at that thirty year mark, you decided to start making million dollar decisions versus mm-hmm. broke ass decisions. Which also, and, I love that it also stands for bad. By the way, bad decisions, yes. people. I made a lot of bad decisions in my twenties. What's I mean? Is it a coincidence that's the acronym, or was yeah, it on purpose? Right. We'll never know. Uh, but so those million dollar decisions, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a million dollars and you're going to go invest in a um, full-time housekeeper to meal prep everything for you and uh, keep your house spotless, do your laundry, make your bed, right? It doesn't necessarily mean all of that, but it might mean one step towards that. So a million dollar decision is something that's going to free up your time. It's going to remove the, I love it, Rachel calls it piddly piddly Piddly. things from your list, like the piddly small things that you're doing. Okay. I'm loving all this terminology. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so these are things that are going to free up your mental space. Um, It's things that help you to feel we were talking about security, right? Like entrepreneurship can bring security. So million dollar decisions are going to bring you that feeling of security um, and freedom and feeling strong about what you're doing. And sometimes they're uncomfortable to make in the process, but a million dollar decision is going to create options rather than taking options away. So it's not, you know, 30 years old, you're like, all right, it's time to stop living in the present day and start doing X. Do you remember anything that you did at that moment that maybe upon reflection, you're like, oh, I think that was a million dollar decision in my twenties or after 30, like after 30, when you, when you, that okay. inflection point. Right. Cause I was like in my twenties, um, just a lot of bad ones. Um, <laughs> and at 30, you know, I started to just, I always, I have expensive tastes. Like it just is what it is. Like you can just blindfold me and I just, I'm going towards prop. It's more than likely the thing is going to be pricier, but I used to indulge that way more often. Mm-hmm. And at, and after 30, I started to look at it as, okay, I could buy this second Chanel bag or I already have one. It's super cute. It's holding its value. What else could that $8,000 do for me? Would I rather look at it Mm. on a shelf or would I rather invest it and see that return in two, three, four years and it be more than that $8,000? So those little things, um, a little bit more self-discipline around indulgence and luxury purchases. And it's not that I deprive myself. It's just that I'm really intentional now with what I splurge on. Um, And then also, because I like to have sort of the best that my money can buy for things, 
being a little bit more uh, smart about that, like with cars, right? I used to want like the newest, shiniest car, fresh off the lot. Those things depreciate as soon as you pull out of the driveway. I'm not buying new cars anymore. Well, I take the back. I might be getting a Tesla, but <laughs> but I say that to say if it's I different. do, that is a very well thought out purchase that I've been thinking about a lot, planning for, and intend to have for an extremely long time. And I'm also considering software updates. I won't be replacing my car as often. But up until this point, it's been certified pre-owned. Like when I bought my car, I actually um, posted about it to to springboard an episode about credit because I had really, my credit became really bad in my mid-20s because I didn't know better. No one taught me anything. And I've been really transparent about that because there's so much stigma and shame around it. And I felt that shame. Um, But I'm like, screw that. I'm not going to feel the shame for not knowing something no one ever taught me. I'm really proud of myself for figuring it out. Credit's great now. Um, The car that I purchased um, was certified pre-owned where I was really tempted to buy it brand new and sexy. And, you know, you want to keep up with the Joneses and all these things, Mm -hmm. but it just, it doesn't make sense to me. It's not worth um, a ding on my future financial freedom to, um, to indulge in some of the, the luxury items that I may have in the past. Um, and then also being really in the weeds with my finances. I think it's really easy to sort of stick your head in the sand when you become overwhelmed, when you get those envelopes or those past due bills, or you forgot to pay something. Like I've been through all of that in my twenties mm-hmm. and you just want to go run and hide. And you're like, if I close my eyes for long enough, maybe it'll just disappear. Spoiler alert. This is adulting. It's not going to disappear. It's just going to mm-hmm. get worse. Mm-hmm. So really staying on top of my finances, combing my accounts every month, my balance statements and being like, wait, there's a discrepancy here. Or wait, I think they charged me twice here. Like those little things add up. And for me, as, as someone who has my own payroll, I'm paying people. I have employees. I have freelancers. I have contractors. I'm being paid. I owe commissions to my agents, my managers. I was not on top of that for, for most of my twenties. And I found a way to keep treading water, but now I am hyper vigilant about what is coming in and what is going out. I look at myself personally, Zuri Hall as a business. Um, and then I also literally have the business of Zuri Hall and I take it really seriously now. So I'm just more on top of the day to day because I've realized that's what adds up to, you know, a lifetime to, to years. Um, and, and I've got more to show for it now than I did in my twenties. So I'd like to think (laughs) I'm doing something not so wrong. Yes. And it's such a, I mean, there are so many cliches around it for a reason, right? What gets measured gets managed. We talk about it as having a date with your money. You said you every month you're checking your accounts, going through them. And then and then as a business owner and personally having to do that and ensuring I know where my money is, I know what's coming in and I know what's going out. Yeah. And I love what you said about I could get another $8,000 Chanel bag. Sure, of course mm-hmm. you could. You absolutely can. And you could also say but what else could I do with this $8,000? What's going to create freedom for me? What's going to make me feel secure and strong? With $8,000, I mean, you could you could get that housekeeper, mm-hmm. right? That's yep. going to do a ton of stuff around the house if that's mm. something that's causing you pain. And so it's it's so true that there is some I, – I used to 
be in the um, anti-diet space as well. Mm -hmm. Just the scarcity around dieting, right? Like to shrink your body, to make yourself smaller. Because again, as women, we're often socialized that way, right? To be small, to be dainty, to be quiet, to not be heard. Don't be too loud. Don't say too much. Stay small. And it's very similar in personal finance, Mm. Um, especially for men. Men are Women are known statistically, I do not have the number in front of me, but they are better investors. And yet it's seen as something that mostly men do. And again, it's just, it's a decision. That is something I can do. I can go invest in a course and learn about investing with $8,000. I probably have enough for the course and also to invest some money. And maybe you'll accidentally do what I did and invest in the wrong thing and turn your $4,000 into $1, but you still (laughs) learned something. Learned. And the lesson is priceless. That is the key. Yes. Right now, ooh, in the world of crypto, tough, 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 tough market, but it'll rebound. Mm -hmm. I I have faith. Um, And and I love what you said because, yeah, it's like $8,000 for the bag, whatever, or you put that money to work, you plant those seeds, that 8,000 becomes three, four, five Chanel bags. If you're willing to wait for the time that it Mm -hmm. takes to reap the rewards of of that investing, that saving, um, that sort of financial prowess. Um, and it's, I've never regretted being smarter or saving or not splurging on a thing. There's nothing that I'm like, Oh, I really should have spent insert dollar amount here six months ago for that thing. I'm not even thinking about half of it six months later. So it's really just about delayed gratification um, for a a more financially free future, which to me is is my top priority. Um, There's so much ground to cover. I want to shift quickly uh, before we wrap things up to just talking a little bit about entrepreneurship. For those people who aren't just thinking about their personal finances, they're creating a business. Maybe you're making money. Uh, let's say somewhere between a hundred to five hundred thousand dollars in revenue, and you're ready to grow more. Um, what would you recommend when it comes to maybe the first million dollar decision someone should make at that point in their career, in their business? Yeah, in their business and their growth. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so. You said between a hundred and five hundred thousand. Sure, just for the sake of the example, but also yeah. feel free to change those numbers. Sure. No, well, and the reason I ask is because we do have a growth scale that takes you from hello one to hello seven. So Mm. in those numbers there, each one, H1, H2, H3, H4, H5, H6, H7, each category has a specific revenue amount. Mm -hmm. And we have a a quiz you could go take that tells you which level you're at, and then it'll give you specific advice for that level. And so 100K to 500,000 is actually, there's a lot of different things to do in that range. But one thing we recommend, no matter what range you are in. And I can, this is top of mind for me because I am doing it and I already gestured to it a time study. So looking at where you're spending your time. And then one thing that you were talking about just now, Zuri, is investing in yourself and investing in yourself can often be buying time back. Mm. So where are you spending your time and what's a $100 an hour task? What's a $1,000 an hour task? you probably need to be focused definitely not on $10 an hour tasks, right? Those are things that should be outsourced to someone else so that you can focus on going all the way back to our conversation, those strengths that you have and what you know that you are good at and only you can do those things. And then what else do you need to offload? And of course, when you're at $100,000 a year, it might be that you're working with more contractors or service providers that you pay for a service for a limited amount of time. You get a project, you get a return on that investment that you reinvest in your business. 
looking for those opportunities. Whereas when you get to $500,000 a year, you have a whole different set of problems. That's where you need to really start building a team. You need that right-hand person who is someone that can help you make your vision come to life. That's often a, a first full-time hire. Well, you can start with a VA that you could grow that person into. Maybe that person stays with you the whole way and becomes your COO or CFO, or, you know, maybe they stay with you the whole time, or maybe it's a VA you hire as an outsourced service provider. They take some things off your plate and get you to that next revenue level so that you can hire your first full-time team member, because maybe you really just are terrible at marketing and you need someone who's going to come in and run your marketing. So it's different for each individual and each individual CEO, which is why I say start with a time study, write down what you're doing every 15 minutes. And Mm -hmm. as you do that, identify what's giving you energy and what's taking your energy away. Because those things that are taking your energy away are the things that you got to get off your plate Mm -hmm. because time is such a limited commodity. And Amen. Success breeds complexity. So the more success you have, the more complex your days are going to become. And that is why you need to delegate. That is why you need to send an email to someone to say, hey, please, can you do this thing that it would take me five minutes to do it? But also I could use that five minutes to do this other thing. Mm. And then you're expanding your success. You're duplicating your success through other people. Just like you were saying, putting your money to work. You can put your money to work through people. You can put your skills to work through people, transfer knowledge and skills. And so I would say anywhere in that range, it's going to be do a time study, figure out where your time is best spent and figure out how you can delegate the things that you should not be doing. Yeah. Oh, I love that concept of buying your time back because it's so true. Back to the, I guess like this Chanel bag is overarching, like touchstone, but $8,000 for a bag that'll just sit on the shelf and contribute nothing to your, you know, time management or or freedom to, you know, have a few more hours in your day or $8,000 for potentially the housekeeper for however many months or the year uh, to buy back the hours that you otherwise would have to do that, whether you're meditating, resting, vacationing, or putting those hours back into your business in the office. I'd much rather have those hours back than, you know, a very beautiful leather bag (laughs) on a shelf, but a bag on the shelf nonetheless. Well, and to not to demonize either, because I think that's something that happens in personal finance, especially for women, is that Mm. we need to stop spending money on manicures and lattes Mm. and all of these. So maybe those things can be million dollar decisions also, right? Mm. Like it, it depends. You're it telling depends there's a on chance. the situation. I get to buy the Chanel. I, <laughs> you get to buy the Chanel, Zuri. Especially you said, I already have one. So yeah. maybe that one is enough. And I can think of, I could probably think of so many examples in my life. Even just the fact that when my son was first born, Rachel recommended I get a night nurse and I didn't. And for my next child, I will be getting a night nurse because- Sleep. Oh my gosh. I mean, oh, sleep yeah. is so you don't even know until you don't have it. And so things that seem like a luxury, mm-hmm. maybe they are. And maybe it is. You used the word splurge. So maybe you are splurging on it, but also maybe you're not. Maybe you are investing. Right. And so I think it's being really, again, is it a million dollar decision or is it a broke ass decision? Mm-hmm. And maybe the Chanel bag is a million dollar decision. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. 
Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You talked a little bit about scaling, and I'm curious to know uh, when should a business owner potentially seek out a COO like you? How do you know when you need a director of operations as opposed to an assistant? Um, Is there a roadmap to scaling? Is that something that Hello7 offers? Yeah. Yeah. So that Hello7 Growth Scale does advise at certain levels who should be your next hire. And building out that operations department is definitely something that you could start doing at any level, especially if that's something that you are just really bad at. Maybe you get a VA who specializes in that, right? And mm-hmm. helping you set up process and systems. Uh, so you do not need a COO. One thing that we see entrepreneurs do early on is get like directors or vice presidents when they don't necessarily need that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't need a vice president of marketing if they're the one person in the marketing department. They are probably your marketing manager, maybe a marketing Mm -hmm. coordinator. So making sure that you give people the right title and have a document that says, here's what this role does. By the way, if you're someone who wants to grow into a chief marketing officer or a vice president of marketing, that opportunity exists here at this company. And here's what that could look like because we all want vision. We all want future. There's a myth of the intrapreneur, which at Hello7, mm. we do like to say, you know, you could be an intrapreneur, which What's means that? you're coming in here. And an intrapreneur is someone who I'm going to, this is a bad definition, but it's someone who works within a company, but has an entrepreneurial mindset. So they're bringing that entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. mindset into your organization. And um, we spent a lot of time hiring people saying that that was the way we worked. But what we found is entrepreneurs should be entrepreneurs and employees are more likely going to be satisfied and happy if they want to be employees and stay Mm -hmm. with a company and grow and build future with that company. And so Point being, as I went off on another spaghetti tangent, (laughs) point being, when you are hiring for these different departments, again, hiring for your weaknesses first, then we hire for our strengths. Mm -hmm. So a COO is not something that you're going to need until you are in a position where you need someone who's going to be able to manage a leadership team that you have, convey your vision to a team, operationalize your vision and bring it to life. Mm -hmm. That is really... That is the function of that. A director of operations, it's it's almost a um a stair step yeah. of 
functionality. And so a director of operations and a COO, I was director of operations, right? I was that one year ago. That was my Mm. title. And so how has my day-to-day changed from that level of authority, level of responsibility in the business, decisions that I make and responsibilities? So ensuring that that's aligned, what you have expectations for the role, what they're going to bring to the business, the decisions they're going to make. If you're going to give someone the title of COO, you got to be willing to give away some of the ownership in the business as well, because that means you don't want to be so involved in the day-to-day and the micro decisions that are made and even some macro decisions that are made. It's releasing, right? So that's that's not, I mean, I can't say at X amount of dollars, you should get a COO, but I, I, I personally believe it's not until you are ready to give up a certain level of ownership in your company. Okay. Got it. What are, What is a red flag or two that an entrepreneur should look out for when it comes to growing their team in general? <gasps> Sorry. I've learned so many lessons on this one. Ooh. So the first thing is I would say behavioral interviewing has been a godsend. We, we brought in an HR director who is a, a an expert at behavioral interviewing and getting behind the mask of people in an interview because I'm again, sorry, we're very empathetic, right? So we'll get on a call with someone and we'll like, listen to them. We're nodding. We're like, I get what you're saying. So you're saying this. And then we're providing the answers for them, helping them get the job. When you really, in a behavioral interview, you want to ask, tell me about a time when you blank. Mm -hmm. So rather than saying, you know, have, have you ever done X? saying, tell me about a time when you did X and then really digging in on it. And so red flags would be when people cannot come up with an example um, (laughs) or they uh, say things like, I don't ever have problems with people in the workplace. You know, people, people tell you who they are and you just have to believe them, but you have to ask the right questions to get people to tell you who they are. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that has been a whole masterclass in yeah. building teams is allowing people to tell you who they are. And people will tell you. It's amazing. People will tell you yeah. in an interview. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. You saying that, I'm like, oh my God, that is totally what I do. I just hate to, I hate to see people drowning, figuratively speaking. And I'm just like, oh my God, let me just save you. Even though I'm supposed to be being like, not hard on you, but like, I'm supposed to have the poker face and just like, see what you tell me. But like, I hate to see you squirm like this. So I'm just going to give you an assist and probably screw myself over in the process because I'm like, you got the job. You're great. You're great. I see something in you when they're like, really? Cause I kind of phoned it in, but thank you. Thank you for that. Um, You're like, I saw myself. I saw myself because I was answering all the questions. Exactly. You, you are hiring. I saw something. Yes. I saw something and it said, um, don't hire people because you hope and pray they're the right person. Mm. Hire them because you're convinced they're the right person. Mm. Brittany, that is legitimately, we get that advice even in dating, right? Don't date potential. Don't marry potential. Yes. What you see is what you get. And if they never change, are you still happy to be there with them? I love that that applies mm-hmm. for, for work and career also. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the same, right? Relationships are relationships. Yep. And actually- I mean, I think that sometimes my marriage is easier than relationships at work. It is people are the hardest part of growing a business. And that's that's okay because Mm -hmm. marriage, work, people naturally drift towards misalignment. It's how Mm. humans are built because we're constantly looking for affirmation 
And we're constantly looking to make sure that we are loved, appreciated, seen, and that is reflected in the workplace as well. And so that, I mean, gosh, team building, we could talk about this for literal years. We would just be on a call for the next 365 year, <laughs> years, days. We're sure, years. Yeah, Technology is amazing, Brittany. We've got 365 <laughs> years. I love this for us. Abundance, right? Abund- abundance mindset. Um, you mentioned misalignment. Um, I'm curious to know, because this is something that I've started to think a lot about this year that I've experienced work culture. Like now that I have my own enterprise, now that I am hiring and firing, I, for the first time in my life, I'm thinking intentionally as an entrepreneur about the type of culture I want. And I'm realizing that an employee can be a good worker or a good employee, but do they understand my vision? Do they believe Mm -hmm. in what we're selling and what we're supporting and what we're subscribing to as a company? And if not, is it a good fit? Because every good worker or good employee um, or great talent doesn't make them the the best talent for your space and what you're trying to create. Um, I'm curious to know in your experience, how do you figure out who a good fit for the company culture is? Are there certain personality types or uh, tests or assessments that you recommend entrepreneurs consider um, when it comes to figuring out who's a, a, a an ideal culture ad? Mm. So much there that my brain went to. So first off, in my mind, I, I categorize the world word culture, which is kind of a nothing word. What does culture mm-hmm. mean mm-hmm. Uh, for a company? I synonymize it with truth. Mm. So culture is just the truth. What's the truth of the situation here? We're always looking for the truth because we lie on accident when we're not truthful, when we are getting into a place of resentment as an employee, when we are staying in a job we're dissatisfied in, we're technically lying to our employer because we're still collecting a paycheck from them, but we no longer respect them or care about the company or whatever. And so culture to me is truth and saying, we're all here for this. Are you still here for this? And checking Mm. in on that. Mm. um, That's so much better than a performance review. A performance review that happens annually or even quarterly, it's too late at that point. If you've let the conversation wait that long and haven't given direct feedback back and forth, I ask for feedback from my team as well. Mm. How am I doing? Am I making sense? Do you understand where we're going? Do you understand the vision? Do you understand what we're trying to do here? And there is a great... Um, I don't ascribe to everything EOS, but there is a great tenant in EOS, which is GWC. Does the employee or you, because you got to do this for yourself as well. It can't just be your employees, right? Uh You have to also do it for yourself. Get it is the G. Want it is the W. C is capacity. So do they get it? Do they get what we're doing here? Do they get their role? Do they get the vision, which is what you were saying? Do they want it? Do they want their role or do they want to roll over there? Do they want to be working for this company or do they maybe want to go over there? Do they want to start their own company? And then capacity. Do they have the time, which is, you know, time studies and understanding. And also capacity can be skilled. Do they have the skill to do the thing? Do they understand it? Do they need training and development? And so that's, that's one assessment tool. And then I just think when you said, is there a specific personality type form for X company? No, because you got to have a diversity of 
mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. If if you don't have a diversity of thought, you create an echo chamber, right? And mm-hmm. and we have to have people to tell us no. And at Hello Seven, what I always tell Rachel is, I'm not going to tell you no. I'm going to tell you, interesting. <laughs> here's what we already said we were going to do. If we do this, we would have to shift this. And and we it's a conversation, right? If Rachel has an idea and she's telling me about it, it means she believes in it and she thinks it's going to affect change. So I'm going to take that seriously. I'm not going to say no. We don't have time for that. That <laughs> right. that's not going to lead to growth. Right. So that's another thing to look for with people. Do you have, knowing about yourself as a company, am I the type of company where we move slowly and methodically and we're we're not going to be innovative in a quick way? We'll be innovative, but we're going to be really deliberate about it, which is the opposite of Hello7, where we are innovative and quick start and we try test ideas knowing who you are as a company and even as you evolve, how that might shift and change and being very transparent about that at the start of the relationship. Just like you said, if you go on a first date with someone and you don't tell them who you are, it's a lie. And then eventually it's going to come out and that relationship is either going to survive that you were lying that whole time or it's going to crumble. Same thing with being an employee or an employer. You have to be honest. Here's who we are as a company. This is what you're entering. Are you okay with that? Yeah. And then if people say they're okay with it, yeah. And then accountability. I mean, there's so much. There is Mm -hmm. so much to finding a good fit and building that. I'm using air quotes. This is an auto. Again, it's audio, but building (laughs) that culture, right? Building that truth. Building who are we? What do we stand for? Mm-hmm. So I think those are all the places my head went. Mm-hmm. Oh my question. gosh. Amazing places. Your head has gone. No, those the really <laughs> great points. I love that the the uh the reference to GWC. That's something that I certainly want to sit with now after um as I think about how to be a, a better boss and a better entrepreneur and a better leader. Um and I, I love your point about that being a yeah. two-way street. Um it goes both ways. How can I be better? to inspire and help motivate Mm -hmm. the people who are working with and sometimes for me to also be better. Um, Okay. As we wrap things up, Brittany, uh, obviously Hot Happy Mess is all about best life minus the burnout. We're big on self-care, on not letting things get so far gone that it looks beautiful on the outside and it's crazy on the inside. And I've been super transparent about the fact that that will always be the challenge of like my life because I am so ambitious. I am an overachiever. So I'm just always going to have to course correct. And ideally it happens quickly. Sometimes in my rougher phases, it takes a little more time to get back on track uh, with banishing that burnout. What does that look like for you? How do you prioritize self-care? Do you have any daily rituals? What do boundaries look like for you? Like how does Brittany protect her peace and, and stay whole and healthy on this, this career journey of hers? Oh, I resonate with what you said so much. I too am a person who loves to achieve and loves to fill my schedule and will push myself to burnout. It's my, I'm using air quotes again, preferred state, even though it's not, no one, right. no one thrives in burnout, but it's, for whatever reason, some of us are, uh, the, the fabric of our being is that we want to achieve and do and do. And I am one of those. And I was actually talking to my coach the other day and he said to me, you are being forced to establish boundaries. However, you are worthy of these boundaries without the conditions that are forcing you to make them. And so I had a 
I had a baby and I know I keep talking about it, but it's because it literally changed my life. I was, I am no longer able to do what I used to do, which I used to love to work, wake up, work out, go straight into work, work from seven to seven, get so much done in that time. You know, oh my gosh. Yeah. I was productive. I was on, I was on fire. And then now I have a nanny who comes from eight to four and I have from eight to four to work. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I can maybe get some stuff done. He wakes up at 6 a.m. So I wake up at five if I want to work out. Oof. Then he's up. Then, you know, two hours of entertaining him because now he's walking and getting into everything. Mm-hmm. And then I've I've got work and I love what I do. I want to be impactful with that time. So I'm focused. I take time. And then at four o'clock, I have to shut it off and and go back to his time, right? And then if I need to get some more done in the evening, I can. But even then, we are we are focused on being a results-oriented work environment at Hello7. So we don't care what hours you work. We care about the results you get mm-hmm. to. And so, again, it's about owning and knowing what I'm responsible for and what I can release. And so that's a boundary I'm working on is just saying, I don't think this is mine to own. Who can own it? Mm, that's been that. huge. Great. And then boundaries. We started this conversation. Boundaries around people pleasing. I am a, I am a, I want, I want you to be happy, Zuri. What let's talk like you're unhappy. Let's talk about it. Whereas now I'm just like, okay, you know what? I don't have time for that conversation. Here's my truth. Yeah. This is, this is what I believe. Tell me where I'm wrong. Let's figure this out. And then either we come to a place of peace or we release it. Mm. Uh, and that even saying that is super uncomfortable, yeah. right? To say that I'm going to release someone else's view of who yeah. I am as a person. Right. Which is something that people pleasers, myself included, have only ever prioritized is what do you think of it? How can I change that if it's negative or bad, but releasing? Ooh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is, again, I'm being very transparent. This is a very new practice for me, right? Mm -hmm. This is something that is within the past few months of just even, you know, my husband's ex-wife who I have to deal with, releasing mm. what she thinks about me. Mm. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't, I didn't marry you. Right. <laughs> You're like that is so, not applicable. Your your opinion is yes. NA. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, honestly, it is a continual learning curve. I'm going to say learning curve for me to even discover what boundaries are, because I think for most of my life, I didn't have any Mm. boundaries. Wow. Wow. I think it's really great that you can even acknowledge that now. And I I certainly feel very similarly. And I think because maybe if some of those overlapping strengths that at certain points can become weaknesses or, you know, um, trigger points or our our Achilles heel, for lack of a better phrase. Um, But awareness is that first step. And I love to hear you uh, say that you are newly implementing those boundaries, because I think that's also a great reminder that it's never too late to set a boundary. It's never too late to say, hey, this is who I used to be. And this is what I used to allow with you, but that's not serving me or working for me anymore. And so to continue to show up in my life or engage with me in this way, these are the new rules. So here, here, I'm all for it. Um, I'm going to let you go now. This has been a great conversation. If people want to keep up with you, if they want to utilize Hello Sevens services, where can they find you and where can they, you know, maybe connect with the company? Absolutely. So we uh, we have a website, of course, hello7.co, not .com. And then you can also find us on Instagram at hello7. So it's hello 
the number seven for our Instagram co. Mm -hmm. And then the website is spelled out. And uh, I just started a whole new Instagram account because my old one was all pictures of my child. (laughs) 100% turned into his Instagram. So I (laughs) removed all my followers and turned it into a closed private account the night before he was born. And so I just started a new one that's Britta Lynn Martin. And that is where I'm sharing things, business and what I'm learning. It's mostly what I'm learning and what I what I'm doing wrong. And then uh, and then, yeah, if you're interested in, in what we provide, you can find all of that on the website. And if you're interested in following our CEO, who is incredible and shares all of these mindset shifting things on a regular basis, she's at Rach Rogers ESQ. Amazing. Brittany. On Instagram. On Instagram. Okay. Got it. Thank you so much, Brittany, for sharing your expertise, your wisdom with us. It's awesome to see what you all are building over at Hello7. So I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Ooh, that was good. So good. What an enlightening and empowering conversation. Brittany, thank you so much again for joining me on Hot Happy Mess. Y'all, make sure to go pick up We Should All Be Millionaires by Rachel Rogers. I'm definitely adding it to my winter reading list. And stay tuned for more episodes because they are coming every Wednesday. If you want to be featured on Hot Happy Mess, if you have an amazing real woman story or a wild confession, or y'all just want to get something off your chest and have us laugh with you, (laughs) never at you, always with, submit your story on hothappymess.com or email us hello at hothappymess.com. And if you can really quickly right now, truly, I would appreciate this. Drop a five-star review and rating. Just a couple of sentences about what you're loving about the podcast. Here's one from Jeremy Allen Garza. Exactly what I needed when I needed it. This podcast is a blast of fresh air in a dank and musty world. I am so excited to listen to this podcast. Jeremy, I love that review. Dank and musty. You just came for the whole planet. Wow. Uh, Seriously, though, thank you for listening. Thank you for the review. And I'm so glad you're loving the episodes. Uh, If you love this one, send it over to a friend right now. Just boop right now. Hit share. Send it to a friend. There we go. Tag us on social if you do listen and we'll repost you. You can at me at Zuri Hall and at Hot Happy Mess. And I'll talk to you next Wednesday. All right. Bye. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 